Good morning. It's a pleasure to look out here and see so many faces from some years past. Thank you for coming home. I uh, rode by a, a little flower shop, and this verse was on the side. As a mother comforts her son, so the Lord will comfort you. And uh, at that moment, I was pretty sure that was my sermon for this Sunday. So that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. You can turn in your Bibles, if you'd like, to Isaiah chapter 66. Most of us remember that our mother's um, comfort was just different from dad's. Um, you know, it wasn't that we didn't like our fathers. It's just that when we had a, a problem as a child, it was mom that we went to. I think that's probably fairly universal, maybe not totally, but um, I think it's from that perspective that, that this passage was given. You know, we didn't analyze it as a child or, or we, just, we just knew that it was mom's kisses that fixed things, you know, and um, when we had a scrape or something, that's usually where we ended up going. You know, God gives us different word pictures to help us understand his heart toward his people. For instance, he says, it's not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And he, um, he says, and uh, Amos, Lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among the nations like as corn is sifted in a sieve. And uh, in Psalm 103, he says, like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. And today in this passage, he says, as a mother comforts her son, so the Lord will comfort you. The setting is in the book of Isaiah, and uh, Isaiah seems to be in some respects a mini Bible. Sort of amazing as the chapter uh, divisions are technically technically not in, inspired, and yet it's, it's fascinating that in chapter 40, he, we find the words, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, and uh, you know, the 40th, cha uh, the 40th book of the Bible be Matthew, and uh, Matthew 1 is where we, we start reading about the coming of the Messiah, um, chapter 66 would relate to Revelation. That's the chapter we're, we're in. And uh, in, in verse 22, it talks about the, um, it says, um, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I shall make, shall remain before for me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And so he's there, he speaks of the new heavens and the new earth. And Revelation 21 and 22, he's talking about the new heavens, and the new earth. So I just find it fascinating how um, these things fit together. This is a, uh, as a book of prophecy, and um, from my observation, it seems that prophecies have multiple fulfillments often. 
There's a, a current one, often for the time it's given. There's often an application for us today. And there's often a future prophecy, aspect of the prophecy. It seems quite obvious that since this uh, chapter follows the, the prior one, where uh, the last verse of, the, of 65 says, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and thus shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. It, uh, it seems obvious that we have not found the literal fulfillment of this chapter either, just as that one has not been totally fulfilled, and yet in the church there is a partial figurative fulfillment. And I would like to think about this chapter a bit more from that perspective today. You know, God's timeless principles remain the same. His provision for those that seek Him, His response the response of the wicked and the religious toward God and God's judgment on sin. I think we'll begin by reading the first several verses. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, thus says the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me and where is the place of my rest? For all these things has mine hand made, and all those things have been made, says the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Now I want to, um, I want to just uh, note before we go here that the verse that we are looking at particularly is down in uh, verse 13. So i just like to look at that verse sort of in the context of the chapter. Um, So he says, uh, where is my house? Where will I dwell? And he says, the, the, where I'm going to look as a dwelling place is, is in the heart of a, of a man whose heart is, is tender towards me. The uh, Apostle Paul, I think it is, says that the, the, the Lord does not dwell in and Temples made with hands. The um, a humble. I think we've talked about humility today in our Sunday school lesson. The word contrite literally means lame, and the only other two places in Scripture where that particular word is used is basically what it was talking about. If you go to um, if you go to online dictionary, you find contrite as meaning feeling or expressing remorse or penitence. I'm not certain what all he may have had in mind, but certainly someone whose, whose attitude toward God is, is, um, is, is the kind of attitude that, that honors God, his, um, his godness, who trembles at God's word. You know, we, also, we often get so numb to God who he is, his power, as evidenced in creation, his power, his justice. And I think we, we have a hard time 
properly relating to um, who God is. Somehow, in fact, I, I think as I was pondering uh, our, our communion service that we had the other week, there was a verse that kept coming to, to my mind. Um, see if I can pull it back. It talks about whoever... It says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat and drink. For he that eats and drinks in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Um, and it goes on to say that that's, that's why many have, have, uh, have gotten sick and many people have died, because God is judging them. Now, that's certainly not the only reason we get sick and die, because we're all going to get sick and die sometime. But uh, sometimes I think we can die before time. But back to the, the concept of um, eating in an unworthy manner. We've often asked the question, what does that mean? Well, I don't have the end of the answer to that either. And yet, I think that as we do not see God for who he is, as we do not respect his word for what it is, we are, we are and we come in a... In a casual, haphazard way, um, then I think, and, and when I say casual, I mean an, an attitude of the heart, casual. Uh, then I think that, that we do ourselves a disservice. We do God a disservice. And, and God says, I will honor the person, I will live inside the person whose heart is is humble and contrite, who trembles at my word. You know, we don't see God as, we don't see God physically. And, and often, and so we have a hard time seeing his grandeur. And, and often we, we are busy doing our stuff and we don't recognize God in all of the things that he makes around us. But I think that as we take the time to ponder, the things of nature, especially get into nature and, and see the works of God. I think it will change our attitude toward God himself. As I get a little older and I have the privilege or the necessity to spend more time walking, um, I, I get the privilege of seeing more of nature and see how fast these grasses come up and these flowers come up and then the next week something different and why does God create so much beauty he does it because he loves you that's why but he also does it because he's a great God what kind of wisdom does it take to put all that together a whole lot more than yours and mine But faith grasps truth that eludes the natural human response. You know, I have a friend who can see all this stuff and not see God at all. And he's amazed at the beauty of nature, but he doesn't see God. And I sit there and scratch my head and say, why? How? How is that even possible? But faith grasps truth that eludes the natural human response. The natural response bypasses truth that does not 
align with its own natural desires. Natural response bypasses truth that does not align with its desires. And so when my, when my desires are fleshly are turned toward my own will, uh, when I love my sin and those things, then um, I have a hard time accepting truth. When my, when my desires are laid aside in place and I give God his proper place, then I am acting in faith and faith believes what God says and acts upon it. And I believe this faith comes by revelation to those that seek God. Let's move on. Verse 3. Now, I'm going to say this before. I read this. I often looked at this and was thinking that this was saying that, um, you know, the guy who is 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 that um, is is honoring God that much and is is that much uh, in awe of God that that these are a reflection of of his attitude. Verse 3, but as I read it some more and studied, I, I realized that I think I was wrong. I think verse 3 is, is God's attitude toward someone's spiritual sacrifices or physical sacrifices when they, when they have a wrong attitude and a view toward him. And so the first one is he that kills an ox as if he slew a man. And so... So a person comes to worship God, and in the Old Testament, they would be offering an ox and say, because your heart is not turned toward me, and because your heart is not humbled towards me, when you bring me an ox, I, it's disgusting to me, just as if you went out and killed somebody. I think that is the tenor of this, of this verse. He that killeth an ox as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offered an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burned incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights and their abominations. I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them because when I called, none did answer. When they spake, they did not hear but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy and they shall be ashamed. The voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that renders recompense to his enemies. So what are some of the characteristics of false, false worshipers? First of all, we notice God's attitude toward them in verse 3 that we talked about. He finds their worship revolting. So they come to God and they, and they, they think they're worshiping him. But, but God says, because of your attitude toward me, even your worship is as disgusting. He, he goes on to say that they have chosen their own ways. 
They have done things their own way and not God's way. They have delighted in their own abominations. They did not listen when God spoke, verse 4. They did evil. They valued the things that God did not delight in. You know, that can be sort of close home. What does God value? What does God delight in? Does God delight in the same things that we delight in? Are God's values the same as ours? Is his definition of right and wrong the same as ours? Are the things that we think are important in our religious activity the things that he thinks are important? Those are questions that we should ask ourselves because we do ourselves no favor to, to call something important that God says is not important. We do ourselves no favor to call something unimportant that God says is important. What does God value? Do you value those same things? You invest your time and your money and your effort in the things that you value. You do not invest, invest in the things that you do not value. And that doesn't matter whether it's your occupation or whether it's your hobbies or whether it's your church life. The same thing is true on all of those. They hate and exclude true worshipers. We're talking about the false worship. They hate and exclude true worshipers. And God says his judgment will be upon them. He will choose their delusions. What is a delusion? A delusion is when you think something is true that is not, isn't it? God says, I will choose their delusions. I will, I will decide, I will allow them to be deluded. Punishment and terror will be upon them, verse 4. Doesn't look like that in here. I'm not sure what the different translation if I got the wrong verse. But anyway, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> Uh, they will be ashamed. Now I found verse 6 interesting. It talked about cities in uproar, a proclamation from the temple, and the Lord repaying the sinners. And you know, when you look at our, when you look at our country, the, the cities are in an uproar, aren't they? It's God repaying evil. I don't think that's the only place there's uproar, but that's certainly one. A voice of the Lord that renders recompense to his enemies. You know, you can never have peace in a situation when our hearts are not turned toward God. When we do those things that God says are wrong, when we call wrong right and right wrong, and we make our own definitions instead of accepting God's, we can never have true peace. I'd like to start reading back at verse 5 again and read to verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified. But he that 
but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, says thy God? Rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for her, rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolation, that you may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, and ye shall be born upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like an herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known toward his servants and his indignation toward his enemies. So we have a very graphic picture here. God using the, the, the mother of a child and... Um, to describe the, the work that he is doing in, in Jerusalem. And I think it can be applied to us as well. It says that he, or Jesus, will appear for your joy. God's presence, when God's presence comes, it brings joy. His work will be sudden, verse 8. Shall the earth be made to bring forth in the day? As for as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. So, so sometimes we can feel like we can feel like that things just continue to go on and on, and we wait and we wish and we long for something powerful to happen. But when God's work begins to happen, it can happen very suddenly. What, uh, what, has, what God has been doing behind the scenes that we cannot see today may all of a sudden bring forth fruit tomorrow. We don't know the workings of God and all these things. It will be God's work. Verse 9. Shall I bring forth, shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut up the womb? You see, the things that God works are his work. Let's not assume that they are something that we do, that we bring forth, that we are smart enough to make happen. When God works in a church in a situation and he brings revival and he brings blessing and he brings power into a situation, it is God's work. It must be God's work. There is no other work that will stand. There is no other work that will accomplish God's purposes except that which God creates. 
I'd like you to notice that here he says that God's work, God's salvation will be through Jerusalem. God's salvation will be through Jerusalem. There is the physical Jerusalem. There is the church, which is somewhat symbolic of, of Jerusalem. There is the new Jerusalem. And, and I don't know, there's a lot in this passage that refers to the prophecy that I don't understand. I wish I understood. I wish somebody explained it to me, but I don't know what all it means. And yet there are, there are things that we can pull from here that I believe are symbolic of, of some things that we work with and deal with today. God's salvation will be through Jerusalem. And he tells you, instead of, tells instead of mourning for Jerusalem, we are to rejoice in her. Why are we to rejoice in her? Because God is doing a work in her. That's why. And And so we come to that verse again, as a mother comforts her son, so the Lord will comfort you. Where does it say? So you'd be comforted in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. You see, um, it says that God will satisfy you through her. God will feed you through her. You will be carried in her arms and, and bounced on her knees. That's the picture that, that God is giving. The, um, the picture of a mother with a child. You know, there are five things that cause a baby to cry that I've observed over time. One is when a baby is hungry. Usually, if you can eliminate these five things, and in our family, it was mostly just four, but um, if you can eliminate these five things, um, you can usually make a baby happy. And so the first one is, is being hungry. If, if, if a baby is, is hungry, he's grouchy. Um, and in verse 11, it says that that you may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolation. And verse 12, um, you shall suck and be born upon her side. So, so you shall feed, feed and be satisfied. And, and let's see, somebody, I think that was Mark, that tells me this one once in a while, that when, uh, when, um, now I can't even say it. Something about seeking other pastors. How does that go? I done threw him for, for a loop. <laughs> uh, he'll come back with it a little bit. <laughs> but there there needs to be a there needs to be satisfaction and 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 feeding and and, and a sense of, of having enough. Whether, whether it's, uh, you know, when, when, when there is not a, a, well, church, marriage, a whole lot of other things, a whole lot of other areas of life, or even your work, if you find no satisfaction in it, if it's not fulfilling, it, it's, you're hungry, right? There's, there's a hunger. God wants us to be filled you find it? All right, go ahead. There's no vision to the people of the parishes. 
Okay. Okay. Where there's no vision, people will find other parishes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think when there's no food, the same is true. The second thing is a messy diaper. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> First is hungry. Second one is a messy diaper. And, 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 you know, God has a solution for messy diapers too. He says, I, even I, am he that blots out thy transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. Isaiah 44, I've blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. I find this fascinating here God is calling a people who have not turned to him. He says, I want you to turn back to me because I have forgiven your sins. Which comes first? That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? He says, you turn back to me because I've forgiven you. I don't quite understand that, okay? Usually... I repent and God forgives me. And here it seems to be the other way around. There's something about the forgiveness of God that calls us to him, isn't there? There's something about this that's just too big for my mind. And I'm not sure what part is which. But uh, there, there's something about the way he said it that I find fascinating. He says, I have blotted out your transgressions return to me for I have redeemed you. Hebrews 10, 6, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days as the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their mouth, minds while I write them in their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Number three, when a child is hurting. And you know, for a child, life brings these little ouchies. For a, for a grown-up, there's other kinds. And God speaks to that as well. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was wroth and smote him. I hid him and was wroth, and he went on frowardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comfort unto him and to his mourners. Jeremiah 30, I will restore health unto thee and will heal thee of thy wounds, says the Lord, because they called thee an outcast, saying, there is, this is Zion, who no man seeks after. Psalm 147, he healeth the broken heart and binds up the wounds. And Ezekiel 15, I am the Lord that heals thee. But remember, the Bible, that God says that these things would be in Zion. In Zion. That is, it's not just God that is doing these things. These things are to be happening in, in Zion, in the church, which is where we are today. That's just an application, not the interpretation, okay? The interpretation is whatever time he's speaking of, which I don't 
entirely know. But this is an application that, and I believe that, that God intends for these things to be happening, not just between him and us, but between us. Does that make sense? It's to be happening here. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Wasn't that in our lesson this morning? Oh, I was Philippians, wasn't it? This is Ephesians. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. A fourth thing that makes a child uh, unhappy is when they're tired. And he has an imagery here that I think speaks to that. It says, it will be bounced upon her knees. And what do you do with a child when they're tired? When they're fussy, you bounce them upon their knees. And, and actually, the, the word also doesn't just mean bounce. Uh, that's, that's the one, way one of them translated. It almost seems more like uh, a caressing, sort of like when they're laying over your back and you're rubbing their back or you're, you're patting them or something. Um, and it's saying that is, that is God wants to bring comfort to you through the church. That's what he's saying. But not only there, but, but our comfort, we, we cannot comfort and we cannot invigorate each other unless we ourselves are invigorated of God. And he says, they that wait upon the Lord. Well, let's go back a verse. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Acts 3, repent be, therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that what we need? You know, as we, as we come to God and we lay ourselves out before him, and you know, when, the more we look at Jesus, the more we see stuff here. Our Sunday school lesson was an example of that. How many of us felt like we had arrived after a Sunday school lesson like that? Certainly not me. It's okay to just come to God and say, here I am, I'm broke. I'm not like you yet. And as we do that, then he comes and he refreshes us. He fills us with himself. And Hebrews, tells, Hebrews 12 tells us to, uh, to when, when, when things get tough, to look to Jesus, look to him, consider him that received, endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. And we do, we get tired. We get tired physically and emotionally and spiritually. And he's telling us when we get tired, look to Jesus. That's where you get your power. That's where you can be encouraged. So when you satisfy a baby's hunger, you clean up his messy diaper, you take away the hurt, you solve the tiredness and weariness, what's left? 
fear. Sometimes the baby gets afraid. I don't remember ours getting afraid very often, but, but sometimes babies get afraid, especially if there's a strange person that's trying to pick them up or something, and they're like, you know, they want mama, all right? And he says, fear thou not, for I'm with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. There's another verse that I think that we ought to ponder for a moment, though. Not just, there, there is a good fear and there is a bad fear. And Proverbs tells us that the fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So many times we choose to do or to not do something because we are afraid of what somebody will think. Proverbs is telling us that is not why we make a decision. Now that doesn't mean that we don't get that we don't get direction from people and encouragement and wisdom that God uses people to speak into our lives and to help us to walk straight. And I, I'm, I'm aware of that. But sometimes we know what the right thing is to do and we're not going to do it because we're afraid of what somebody's going to think. That is the wrong reason to make a decision. It says, whoso trusts in the Lord will be safe. As a mother comforts her son, so the Lord will comfort you in Jerusalem. And I'd like you to notice that the satisfied, healthy baby will grow. And you shall see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like an herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known toward his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. Conclusion, God promises a blessing on those whose heart is tender toward him. It is okay and it's fitting to mourn for Jerusalem. You know, when a mother is not caring for her children, it is not natural. I could not help to be horrified and I see those stories a lot, and I wonder if it's just because I look at too many of them that my feed comes up with all these crazy stories. But there was a woman who has just been taken to trial, and and um, and uh, sentenced to life in prison. Somehow she and her crazy husband, well, not her husband, the guy she ran off with, somehow they uh, they conspired and, and killed her children, killed both their other spouses, and they ran off to, to Hawaii together. It's like, how can you process that? It's 
it's not natural for a woman to be that way. And when, when, when a mother is that way, there's reason to mourn. When a church is not doing what a church is supposed to do, there's reason to mourn. When it's bringing com- anguish and not comfort. But God, Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. And God's word to us this morning is, is to rejoice for Jerusalem. To rejoice in Jerusalem because he says, I'm doing a work in Jerusalem and Jerusalem is going to, is going to become what Jerusalem was meant to be. Sometimes, though, we must wait. Always we must pray and seek the face of God. Sometimes God gives specific directions that we must follow. But in the end, I'd like to remind you that God will win. In the end, God will win. And the question that we have to answer is whose side will we be on when God wins? Will we be on the side that are blessed? Will we be on the side that that is comforted in Jerusalem? Or will we be on the side that God judges? I would like to submit to you this morning that the promise that is for Israel is also for us. As one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Let's have a song.